Well, here we are. It's the fourth week of Advent, which is traditionally the last week of Advent. And then next week, of course, we have our time looking at the actual Christmas celebration. But in our fourth week of Advent, I, I want us to look at a concept of welcoming Jesus. And, and there's a lot of ways that we could see how that happened and didn't happen in the scriptures, specifically around the time of the birth of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 8, and then also Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 8, Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And, uh, and so if you don't know where the book of Matthew uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 8 is in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. Go ahead and use it. And then when you find it, would you please read along with me? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. Here's what it says. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, and as was everyone else in Jerusalem. He had called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be a shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them, uh, that, uh, learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them to go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him as well. And then Luke chapter 2, verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them at the end. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, that we would recognize what it means to be a people who welcome you into our lives. And so, Lord God, I ask that uh, the words that are spoken here would be from you, and that we would all be encouraged by what we find in your word today. In your name I pray. Amen. So did you know that, or at least I think anyway, that most people sort of miss Christmas every year? Uh, and, and that might sound kind of silly uh, because we, we sort of drown in the sea of Christmas advertising during the holidays, right? Um, like for example, uh, there's a statistic that came out back in 2017, and it turns out that in December, in Canada, in 2017, $4.9 billion was spent the value of food. Uh, the, they spent $444 million on televisions and audiovisual equipment. $607 million was the value of toys and games that was purchased. $464 million was the value of computers, peripherals, networking equipment. Uh, $255 million was the value of small home appliances. $252 million was the value of tableware, kitchenware, cookware, bakeware. You, you could already get, get a notion here, like, like everything is being advertised and pushed and pushed and pushed. $239 million was the value of cosmetics and fragrance. Uh, the value of sporting equipment was $200 million. Uh, 125 million was the value of books. Clearly, books were not the big purchasing item. Uh, 122 million was the value of jewelry and watches, and then 62 million was the value of cameras uh, related to photographic equipment, not including 
video. So millions and billions of dollars was being spent in 2017 in the, just in the month of December on Christmas. So all the advertising, all the, all the language, all the jingles, everything, it, it keeps us focused in kind of on Christmas. Like you would think or ask yourself the question, like how could we miss Christmas when we spend so much of our energy purchasing things for Christmas? And yet I'm convinced that so many millions miss Christmas every year, including this year. And so I, I want to talk about four groups of people who missed it, uh, who you could say did not welcome in Jesus in that first Christmas, and then four who did. So the first one would be the people who didn't welcome Jesus. That's kind of our, our first category for today. And I would suggest like there's lots of talk about this innkeeper, right? Like the innkeeper missed the first Christmas because he was preoccupied. Look, the town was crowded. Everybody was coming to town in order to be able to fulfill the responsibilities as related to the census. So the town was crowded and there was no indication that he was hostile. There's no indication that he was unsympathetic to their cause. Um, and especially to, to this pregnant woman, and he was just too busy. And, and in addition to that, there was just no room, no spare room uh, in his home, in the inn. And so then he offers forward this manger, uh, which would be a safe place for them to be able to uh, be for the night. But in this idea of, of what it meant for him to be this innkeeper, it meant that that he would be busy tending to the needs of the people around him. And so he would be distracted by anything else that would come along. Certainly uh, distracted from any notion of even looking for, waiting for Messiah to be returning or coming for the first uh, time that night. And in the same way, I think we can become too busy with the things that we've got going on in life around the Christmas season, like they're shopping, right? And, and let's face it, some people love shopping, some people really don't like shopping, but we know that it's constantly on our mind and like our Amazon cart's full and, and we're going to the malls or we're going to the boutique stores, all that kind of stuff. There's Christmas concerts, whether it's for kids or for adults. You have Christmas parties, whether it's friends or workmates or, or even just family. And, and certainly you've got the family gatherings that are there as well. And so, so many people don't have room for Christ in their Christmas because there's so many other things happening. And so this innkeeper, he missed the first Christmas and he wouldn't let Jesus be born in his house because there was no room for Jesus in his house. And I actually think that so many people miss Christmas by not letting Jesus like, be born in their hearts, you could say, right? Like there, there's no room in their heart for Jesus in the same way that there was no room at this inn for Jesus. And that's, that's a telling thing, right? Because we busy ourselves with so many other kinds of things and our minds are racing, our, our energies are racing and we're, we're moving towards good things but not the great thing and the great thing being Jesus. And so maybe a point of evaluation. In your Christmas season, in your celebrations, how much room do you actually have for Jesus in it? Versus how much time are you finding yourself um, kind of dolling out all over the place and not having a private time with Jesus, or even a family time with Jesus. And so this is innkeeper. We don't know much about him. We just know that his home was full. He had a major that he offered. He wasn't unsympathetic, but he was definitely occupied by the things he was dealing with in his home. Herod is another character in the story. He missed the first Christmas, but not like the innkeeper. 
This man wasn't ignorant of who Jesus was. Like, just remember that the, the innkeeper had no idea what was going on. But Herod, on the other hand, he pretended that he wanted to worship Jesus, but was fearful of letting him become Lord. You see, if Jesus became Lord, it would, would have ruined Herod's career, you could say, right? Because Jesus would be this, this newborn king. And so lots of people are like him. They don't want to allow, or they won't allow anything to interfere with their career. They won't let anything interfere with position, plans, lifestyle. When Jesus becomes Lord of life, it will probably change the things that were once priorities, right? It'll potentially or likely alter our plans. Like, I'll give you an example. Before I met Jesus, my goal was to be an advertising executive. That's what I wanted to do because I grew up in poverty. I had this impression that advertising executives made money. I didn't want to be poor. And, and so that was my plan. When I met Jesus, I found that my plans changed because I got called into ministry. And in answering that call, that meant I had to turn my back on this other desire that I had in order to be faithfully following after the things of Jesus. And so then Jesus alters our priorities. But not only did Herod miss this first Christmas, his fear of Jesus being king of the Jews cost thousands of children from the ages of two and under their lives. I mean, he was hostile to Jesus, right? He was like, he was so hostile to Jesus being king, meaning that he would no longer be king, that other people got hurt. And they're not allowed to bet, to let, he's not allowed, about to let someone else be king of his life. And I think actually it's that way sometimes with our Christian faith as well. Uh, we, you know, people are hostile to Jesus because he represents a change, because he represents that he is king, we are not. He is Lord, we are not. He is God, we are not. And, and so then there's this hanging on of these things that we're actually called not to hang on to. And so you have Herod in this trying to hang on to his kingship, hang on to his power, his position, uh, his sense of self, and, and unwilling to yield that to this newborn king, Jesus. But you also have the religious group that's mentioned. And this is mentioned in Matthew chapter 2, verse 4. It says, When he called together the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And then talks about this quote. And it says, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will, be, who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, the chief priests and scribes knew exactly where the Christ was to be born, where the Messiah was to be born. And these theologians, uh, the minds, the brains, the religious elite of Israel uh, are the ones who had this answer, which is why Herod called upon them to come to them. They knew Scripture well enough to quote Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And yet they missed it. They missed Christmas. Even though outwardly they would pray for the Messiah to come and deliver them from the Romans, they never even bothered to travel a few miles south to Bethlehem to see if the Messiah had indeed actually been born. Like there's no account of them doing this. And so why did the religious leaders miss him? Because they weren't seeking him out. This is the idea of knowing of Jesus versus knowing Jesus. They thought surely when the Messiah comes, He's not going to pass us by. Like, we are the ones that 
face that fast twice a day, give the tithes of all we have and keep tradition, surely we are the crowd that he'll come to first. That was the notion. They were self-righteous. I'm all right the way I am is a very dangerous attitude in life. Jesus' ministry was to people who had a problem, and that problem was sin. And they knew it. They knew it. So the religious people lost it because they weren't looking for him. They, they knew about the prophecies, but they weren't necessarily looking for the prophecies. And so when Jesus finally came, they missed Christmas. And so in, in doing so, they didn't welcome Jesus at Christmas. And then you had the people at Nazareth. So it's probably the saddest of all that Nazareth missed, the, the people of Nazareth missed Christmas. And so although he was born in Bethlehem, he grew up in Nazareth, right? Like as you continue reading the story. And he lived this perfect life before all the people that were there, and yet they completely overlook him. As a matter of fact, you can continue on in the, as you read through the Gospels, you'll find that even his own siblings didn't recognize him as Lord. They initially thought that he was out of his mind. Luke 4 describes the most important Sabbath day Nazareth ever had. Jesus had lived there all his life and then makes a proclamation that he is the Messiah. And what was their reaction? Well, the people who knew Jesus the best, those with whom he had grown up with and among whom he had lived, tried to kill him. They tried to kill him. They, they missed it. The people of Nazareth, who knew him better than anyone else, had no idea who he really was. And what was their problem? Familiarity. It seems as though they may have thought they knew him too well. They knew him so well that they couldn't believe that he was anyone special. Familiarity, um, it often strangles conviction. Perhaps the most tragic sin of all is the unbelief of a man or woman or young person who has heard all the sermons, has sat through all the Bible studies and readings, knows the Christmas story back to front, but rejects Jesus. It's probably one of the saddest. There is no gospel. There is no good, good news for that person because they already know it and they reject it. So they don't see it as good news. They don't treat it as good news. And the truth is, is that only the truth will set people free. So this is the idea. Like Even they, they, they're so familiar with the narrative that the narrative no longer has meaning. And then they're able to dismiss it. And that's a difficult thing. And then we, we miss out on Christmas when that happens. We don't welcome Jesus when that happens. You've got to remember, like all this prophecy of Jesus coming in the first place, there, there is this understanding that when the Messiah comes, there will be this triumphant welcoming of Messiah, but that didn't take place. And in the same way, in our own lives, like, there's, there's this space where we need to recognize that Jesus is wanting to connect with us, and we have this... Well, this responsibility to, to welcome him in. But then we have the people who did welcome Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 12, we learn about these shepherds, right? And, the, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today... In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And so these shepherds, 
they they experienced this good news, right? Like they were they were out there, they heard the language that was coming to them, this celebratory language, this powerful language of Messiah finally coming. And what do they do? They run out to see for themselves what took place. They went to welcome him. And we know that because they also then went and spread the news. You also have the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So these are these guys in the east. They're watching the skies. They see the star rise. They travel to it. They come to Jerusalem, and then finally they're looking like, Where is this King of the Jews? There was an understanding that the king was born, and they came to worship him. And so strangers, people from a distant space, different la- distant land, came and worshipped the newborn king. They welcomed him. Simeon, in Luke chapter 2, verse 26 to 32, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought the child Jesus to to do for him what was the custom of the law, what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, So, so I understand this. Simeon takes him in his arms and he, and he knows. And he praises God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have prof- promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And so he recognized, he's welcoming Jesus in, and he's recognizing that Jesus' ministry is not just for the Jews, but is for the Gentiles. And he is this incredible light that, that shines that we then welcome in. It seems to me that those who welcomed Jesus did so with significant joy in their lives because there was a recognition of what he brought with him. You had Anna the prophetess. It says here, uh, there, there was also the pro- a prophet Anna, daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them in that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. None of these missed Christ because they were watching for him in order to welcome him. Look, we've got to watch for his appearing. And whether that be in our daily lives, where, where we recognize the significance of the presence of God in our lives, or whether we're waiting for his return for the second coming, we need to wait and watch and be willing to welcome him in his return. So if we're wondering how God will treat you when you accept his welcome, Maybe we just need to remember the story of the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, verse 21 to 23, this is the the son talking to the father. He says, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring my best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Like he's waiting to welcome each one of us into relationship with him, our Heavenly Father. And so the question that we have is, is how long will we wait to receive the welcome that God has for us? And secondly, 
Will we welcome the Lord Jesus Christ to be the center of our lives, our families, our homes, our very existence this Christmas and every day? God waits patiently for us to come to him. And if you're wondering what happened next in that story of the prodigal son that Jesus was telling, here's what it says in Luke 15, verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So what does God do when we welcome him? What does he do when, when we welcome his free gift of salvation to us, when we pursue him and we go after him? He celebrates. He celebrates. You don't need to cower in coming to God. You don't need to cower in coming to Jesus. We honor Him. We are in awe of Him and we praise Him. But we approach Him with joy knowing that He has offered this free gift. He welcomes us. And He tells us to welcome Him. What an incredible story. What an incredible God we have who is willing to allow people choice. And some in the narrative we know didn't choose him. And some did. And the ones who did, they're the ones who experienced eternal joy. They're the ones who are experiencing the goodness of God. And that's the invitation to all of us. So my hope and prayer for you this Christmas season is that you will welcome Jesus who offers a welcome to you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for our time here. And I thank you that you are God and we are not, and that in your wisdom, you decided to give us choice. And so, Lord God, I pray that anyone who's watching this would be willing to choose you this day and to serve you the rest of their days. Lord, that they would proclaim your goodness, your salvation, your good news to everyone in their spheres of influence. Lord, that you would bless everyone today. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.